podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Everybody, welcome back to the East Meets West at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. It's me and the hosting chair this time for some post G1 shenanigans, not in the same style that Evil in the House of Shit do. It's me, your host Grant McRobbie, and I'm joined as usual by Scott McLeod. Hello there, Grant. Uh, I said to you before we started, you know, it feels like it's been a, a long time since we've done one of these, and uh, I think in between this and the last episode, it's been so long. I was meant to join you on that Bullet Club show. But, uh, you know, got to be, got to make the money. I got I had to work that day, so unfortunately I couldn't join there. But we're back again. We're going to be making up for it with the next couple of months with the amount of content we're being shoved at us. But on the subject of that Bullet Club show, the amount of disrespect for, for Bad Luck Ballet, you know, the general, salute the general, he fought in the war. <laughs> he's been in all the wars the civil war the bullet club civil war you name it bad luck valley has been there and speaking of content just the usual housekeeping you can get all of our shows on anchor spotify apple all your usual podcasting places we're on social media at suplex retweet on twitter instagram we've got millions of things on youtube we've most recently had the big massive iron man match between Scott and Dave, if you've, if you've not already watched it, too bad, I'm going to spoil the result. I've got the, the reigning defending champion with me. Or Scott. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I am to that title what Yoshihashi, Goto and Ishii are to the, the never titles in that a title keeps switching hands but I've managed to hold on to it uh, with a couple of successful defences and it's the only favourable time I'd want to be compared to Yoshihashi. <laughs> And yet, I mean, he's, he's, Scott here is also probably now the sassiest member of ESSR. Yes, David Campbell, your plate position as the sass queen has been taken over. And we've got another quiz showdown coming up soon. But we are not here to talk about quiz showdowns and sweeps and that. We are here to talk about the G1 Climax. The bloody month-long tournament. And it seems to take a month off my lifespan every time I watch the damn thing because of some of the spots I have to watch. But yeah, like Scott, we had we had a really odd G one this year because whereas wrestling has opened up everywhere in the world, it feels like for some reason in Japan it's still the clap crowds, and I don't know about you, but I felt it made the G one feel a bit odd this year. Yeah, yeah, I think so because like every so often when there's silence or like people aren't really making noise, they're saying yeah, the commentators and English commentators trying to cover for it, like oh. Well, the clap when they like something, but you know, because they can't boo or anything to be booing right now. But you know, the ultimate disrespect is for them to not make any noise. But you know, a Japanese crowd is mostly silent anyway, unless something big happens. So that doesn't really work. And I think it didn't really matter last year because we were all getting used to limited crowds and some. And there were some places that couldn't have fans at all still. But yeah, now that the world is open up and AEW and WWE particularly are like open up to you know, full venues. 
uh, of fans having like a still reduced crowd, not making any noise. I mean, it's nice to have people there in general, but it does feel weird. And they, they do say that the some restrictions are being lifted like every day in Japan, but you know, I don't think by the time the next tournament, the Super Juniors World Tag League comes around, I don't think they'll be any better. But you know, we can hope going into early 2022 that you know, things change. Yeah, we can hope to get them back to their full ready selves as usual. I mean, with those restrictions, we, we kind of touched on, touched on this in our preview where we kind of ran through all the participants. Quite a few debuts, a, a very much core, mostly homegrown New Japan roster for this one. And I don't know about you, Scott, but I felt that some people that I, I'll be honest, I was quite harsh on going into this actually proved a kind of step up for themselves in some of the regards to some of our mid-card guys. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There were a couple of guys uh, I still didn't want to see going like as long a match as they did because I didn't think they needed to. Like we talked about, you no know, match length sometimes on these still like limited cards going longer than they needed to. And I think that was still an issue with some of these uh, matches. But I do admit there were people that really stepped up, like that you'd want to see kind of step up. And also the fact that uh, you took a few big players out, you know, Jay, no Jay White's, no. No Minoru Suzuki's, uh, no Will Osprey, and things like that. That it did leave kind of an air of like you didn't know what to expect with this tournament because you had some newer people going on like strong runs, and you had your established guys. So I think they did their best uh, to try and create some unpredictability for this tournament. Yeah, I mean that 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 is very true. And when it comes to unpredictability, uh, I think we as we'll go into in a bit more depth, that A block was certainly the most unpredictable thing I. I've probably seen in G1 in most recent years. B block felt a little bit more obvious, but A block left us scratching our heads right to the last minute. Yeah, and you know, not to get too far ahead of myself, but you know, it's weird because I enjoyed A block more than the B block because I think a lot of the a lot of the ones I preferred watching around that you had a, like a better mix in there because you had Kenta, ZSJ, Abushi, Shingo. All you know in the one block, a lot of heavy hitters, and then yeah, you had like Okada and Tanahashi, and and B block. But for me, just a lot of the matchups I think were more enticing than A block, uh, personally. But then when you got to the end of it, even though there was more to go with tiebreakers, I, I somehow preferred B block when I got to. It, even though every match other than the main event, we actually thought about it, didn't matter. When you actually <laughs> look back when it was just everybody below the two in the main event, just trying to finish on 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 strong enough points to stay justify getting called back next year yeah and i mean i think you know i've, I've got down my notes now I, I think i want to the first thing i want to focus on in particular from a block was zach saber jr and that absolutely phenomenal run that he had at the start of the g1 i mean it, it took it, like, he pretty much had back-to-back victories opening things up against some of the biggest heavy hitters that the company has to offer it was unreal yeah and you know it was in his open match, but unfortunately, another big point that happened in the A block was also Naito getting injured. And uh, watching it back, there's a point where he jumps on kind of Naito's leg to stop him up for a submission. And you can actually see Naito's reaction like, that's not just good selling, like, he's legit. You can now see, like, that's probably where it happened. But and I remember being surprised at first to see how strong he, he started off his tournament. Like, early on, him and the Great Okan, weirdly, at one point, they had their, like, fourth match against each other. They're in each fourth match of the tournament, and at, at that point they were both block favourites. And I thought, I said, well, I think it's basically Zach stepping up because we've seen the past. 
he often has mixed C1 success and he's shouting and balling backstage, blaming it on everybody else, including Boris Johnson. But now he's but now he's stepped up a gear out of nowhere that nobody was expecting him to consider also he's a tag team champ, so people thought, oh well, he's gonna be in the tag team tournament he's like, No, fuck it, I wanna I wanna win the G one. Yeah, I mean Zach was pulling out pulling out everything and probably the most notable victory of of his whole tournament was getting the the win over Shingo, the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, which I, I would say it was it was Zach's probably match of the tournament. It was unreal to watch. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of my favourite single matches as well. Because uh, Shingo's had a strong start to the tournament, like uh, him v Ishii as the main event at night one of the tournament, I thought was a hell of a match as well. Like, even Kevin Keel and Chris Yelton said we might have just started off with the best match of the, the whole tournament. Uh, and then they've mentioned their history. They've only faced once in 2009 uh, in WXW, and basically Shingo smashed Zach in under like 10 minutes. And so Zach, this was personal, he wanted to get revenge and. Uh, Nice wee bit of uh, foreshadowing to get us all internet fans excited in his post-match. He said, uh, well, that's the uh, Japanese dragon taking care of. I wonder where the American dragon's at. Uh, ZSJ giving us like, possibly the biggest tease over in America. And AEW is on an absolute tear right now where he's looking phenomenal match after match after match. So the idea of these two coming together in the future is very appetising, whether it's a G1 situation, whether it's an AEW, whether it's a New Japan, just give me the damn match. Hook it to my veins. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, you can still have that Wrestle Kingdom and still have, Jack, have Zach like, defend the title because you've got three nights of Wrestle Kingdom now to book. We all know how much uh, Brian wants to wrestle for New Japan. I remember he said about wanting to wrestle in the G1 and we're all shocked that he didn't I know we're, there were some of us holding out hope that he'd be announced to the G1, but not this year, sadly. But uh, imagine how differently we'd be done at the G1 this year if they did include Brian in it. Yeah, I mean, it's because it, it, Brian does have a history in New Japan, a very, very sort of old one that some people are familiar with, some people aren't. Um, in fact, he was even involved in a match. It came up on Twitter recently. It was like the New Japan, the Youth Dirty Championship, which is long, long retired. And it was... It was Danielson against Tanahashi. I mean, that that shows you how far back things go. Tanahashi mm-hmm. didn't even have long hair at the time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. has had that phenomenal run. Um, you did bring up the that injury in the first night. Uh, absolutely heartbreaking. Like that, that was a legit injury. No, no gimmicks, nothing like that. It's just Naito is out, withdrawn from the tournament got no points, everyone else was guaranteed at least two because of it I, f- I felt robbed that we never got our Naito shingle match <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a hell of a match between him and, and Zach and it was continuing on the, the feud that they've been having in the tag division, but yeah, yeah I think if we were robbed of quite a few like solid matches in the tournament, you know, getting to see him be Kenta again him be shingle, which is what I've been I've said in our preview, that's one of the ones I was most excited to see uh, him and Ibushi, you know, their annual uh, let's drop each other in our heads as much as we can match, uh, which we can never get enough of. But, you know, like, it did help. It made the CSA's, like, campaign in the G1 look stronger because they kept pointing out everybody else, whether they won their matches against, you know, the fill-in opponents that they'd get, which alternated depending on who was wrestling. Like, they'll get the two points whether, whether they win those matches or not. Whereas DSJ, because he beat Naito, got the, didn't have to have one of those matches, so he basically was earning every 
bit of the points he was getting. I don't think Naito would have won the tournament, but he, he would have been interesting to see where he would have finished had he not gotten injured. But yeah, tell you one of my favorite matches that we got because of Naito uh, getting injured, which was uh, Hiromu got into a couple of matches. And I can't remember who the same person faced, but the one that stands out to me is his match with Kenta, which I think is a match that wouldn't look out of place in, in the regular G1 if Hiromu was part of the tournament. And I think Hiromu needs to be one of the guys who is able to join the, the G1 while still being a junior, like Osprey and like Virgo, Devitt have done before him. Because like he did not look out of place in there. I mean, we, we already knew that when we saw his uh, New Japan Cup performance back in 2020. Yeah, undeniable. Like that, that match with Kenta was a, a blessing to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we did lose Naito, very sad. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. That was an absolute standout. Like Kenta looked completely refreshed. He, he looked like after kind of wondering, where's Kenta? Where's Kenta? Has anyone seen Kenta? Kenta has came back with a vengeance and he had an absolutely just really an absolute wonderful run in the G1 as well you know he was one of our kind of as we'll get to later one of our potential winners from from A block um, but I don't want to don't want to shoot things too soon because I want to skip a little bit over to B block and talk about a certain person being back on form Stephen Wilson's favourite the Rainmaker is back <laughs> yep uh, I think he's always a favourite come G1 time and it's very rare to see him in the G1 and not be the the, the reigning champion uh, and yeah kicking it off with Tanahashi you know B-Block with Tanahashi versus Okada you know as the main event you can't really get much bigger than that and they did it again they did this quite a few times they didn't have a draw in the tournament but they kept teasing especially in Okada matches and I think he was taking over for Naito for like teasing the time limit because they did it with Tanashi, I'm pretty sure he did it with Sonada as well. Or they, they, it seemed like he was going to go near the time limit, and uh, he didn't. But you know, it was still a hell match. And he said, "Yeah, the Rainmaker's back." Because, uh, like I said, since like the, the Tokyo Dome, he's really not done much. Uh, I think he was maybe a bigger like, involvement in the World Title scene this year. But people getting injured, he's had his own injury things. But uh, it feels like Okada's back on track because because he he started off in the World Title scene so soon that anything other than that. It's so beneath them, so it's weird how you book Okada sometimes. Yeah, I think I think sometimes they've kind of they've actually made themselves a bit of a booking nightmare with how strong they've made them in the past. It's like, how do you put them into anything smaller than? And it's it's kind of like a similar problem to what WWE have when they bring Lesnar in. Is like, well, Lesnar has only ever really been main event. Where do you book him if he's not in the main event? It's you're making yourself a nightmare on the booking front. So, yeah, Gedo. Don't do that, you ball bag. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, Okada had an absolutely. <laughs> you know, he's still still not giving up on the money clip, though. You know, he's still trying to make that a thing. He's even showing showing off new variations of the money clip as well. Uh, but like, he's still like winning matches with the Rainmaker as well. So we're, you know, he's starting to seem like more like the old Okada. I could have done without him main event issue against Yoshihashi for like 20-25 minutes. I could have done without that 15 minutes maybe at most. I I mean, you know, that's a, like, Okada trying to make the money clip happen. It's it's like fetch and mean girls. Mm-hmm. It's not going to yeah. happen, Kazuchika. Drop it. <laughs> Come on. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it, was, it, it was definitely like this was big match Okada back in, in a form that we've not... He's been through numerous losses in the last year or so, you know much as I take the piss, 
he, he, we can't say that he's not guilty. Like he's he's not put anyone over in the last year. I mean, he's he's put over Shingo like twice. Mm-hmm. So, put over Colby helped set up Cobb up for a hell of a run in the G one. I I that's uh, um, even though even though it's not my next point. Yeah, I'd like to actually go to that because you've mentioned the big man himself, Cobb, making history. The first ever eight and O run in the G one, and it's done by a Gaijin. Mm-hmm. If you had told me this was going to happen a year ago, I wouldn't have believed you. I was like, ah, oh, they like getting Cobb in because he's a good big man and stuff like that. But he's kind of, I would, I would have always said that at the time, he just felt like he was kind of there to pad out the card, be a good solid one. Oh, how wrong I, how wrong I would have been. He has been, <laughs> at, he had a phenomenal G one. He looked immense. He looked a monster. Yeah, uh, like this is his third G one tournament, uh, but this is the first one where I feel like he's probably about the way he should be should be booked. Uh, he's now nicknamed the Imperial Unit and he certainly looked like a fucking unit going through <laughs> this tournament. I remember like last year when it was officially announced that he'd signed with New Japan when like all these other companies were after him and I think now they've shown that New Japan slowly but surely you know, they had a bit of my big matches with Bushi and uh, Shango even though they lost they, they, get, they took their time with him and now he had this performance. I think he and Okan are held like probably front Front candidates for maybe winning World Tag League, given their performance. Like I, I remember, I'll hold my hands up. I was wrong a few episodes ago when I said like when they announced the rematch from from Etlifeville between him and Okada, and I'm like, why do you have another match? Okada already beat him. What good is this going to do, Jeff Cobb? Well, not only did Jeff Cobb beat him, but then that set him up on a hell of a run through this, and he just like I said, undefeated. Even Chris Charlton, you know, being a historian, has <laughs> pointed out it's not un- uncommon for uh, an uh, unbeaten run. The people have done it before. This is the first time since we moved to like eight or nine people in a block that it's been done. This this rate rate has only been done when it was in a smaller block uh, previous years. So it's, he's the first of the current modern like style of the G1 to have this kind of run, and uh, I think it's going to be a long time if anyone ever uh, tops this. So even if God never wins the G1, he's always got this to his name. Aye, absolute big one. And there was one point you made in there. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I hate to be the guy to shoot one of your points, but. Cobb and Okan won't be the favourites for World Tag League because the same night that World Tag League's kind of starting, Cobb is in America teaming with TJP. <laughs> I, I, do, I do believe from what I've gathered looking on Instagram and Twitter, it's actually going to be Okan and Hinari are going to be representing the United Empire in Tag League, which I still think is, like, is still a good shout. Uh, I think it's like they've been building Hinari, they've been building Okan and Cobb as, you know, like a Dominant team, like they went very dominant in the last World Tag League. They've been like one of the most winningest combinations in tags or six mans like over the last year. So you, it felt like they were set up as future World Tag League winners. But you know, it's, it's nice to see that they found Hanari. Like he, they 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 crawled through a hole and like, oh look, he's in here. We found him. He's always in the last place. You like your Hanari. Uh, so it's like because again, Hanari like kind of just disappeared. I'm like. Has anyone seen Hanari? I was wanting to put him like, do we put him on the milk bottles? You know, it's like, have you seen Hanari? Please call New Japan offices. Will Osprey is looking for his for his adopted son. <laughs> I mean, so I didn't know if the call was going to be in America, but like, at least if he's not going to be for like World Tiger in the tag scene, I still hope he does get a featured spot as part of Wrestle Kingdom, because after this run, I think he earns it. And uh, it was interesting to see if he went on to win the tournament. Because they pointed out he would have probably been the only the first, one of the first winners since like the title shot Risk Kingdom to not have to defend it because nobody's beaten him and you usually defend it 
against somebody who beat you in your block. But that would not have happened if, if Cobb had went on to win it. I know. It's, it's, it was like Cobb's run was phenomenal. And before I go to the upset in block A, we'll, we'll talk about also the fact that because Cobb and Okada were pretty much almost in competition with each other to like to keep delivering the streak. Okada mm-hmm. fell short. He fell he fell to seven and one. And I don't know about you, but by the time that he actually went down to the seven and one, Tamatonga, I did not expect that. Yeah, it kinda came out of, of nowhere. And I remember first thinking like, why is he losing so close to the final when he's one of the clear favourites to win the block? Is this really going to affect him? Because you know he just had to beat Cobb and he still won, even though Cobb go into the final had like two points ahead of him, but if he beats Cobb, he's got the tiebreaker over him. And I was like, oh, well, it's, it gives uh, Tamatonga something to grow about. And also, you know, you're only, uh, you're only ever going to get like one or two defences of the G1 opportunity given the shorter window now. So you need to have uh, Okada, like, oh, if he's going to win the G1, like, lose at least once to get a take, uh, shot uh, defence in there. I'm just surprised that they chose him. Because, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they chose someone like. Uh, yeah, Tanahashi or Sanad, or even get a surprise win for Goto, but uh, Tamatonga, you know, again, we were hoping that the GOD, like, individual in their own separate block would step up, and uh, I think Tamatonga certainly did. I, I feel I feel both halves of GOD. Tango, this was his first G1, and while he didn't get a lot of victories, I'll give it to him, it, when he was in the ring, he looked intense. He did, he did deliver, in my opinion. You know, there was a lot of people were delivering left, right, and centre. Like even even that we prick Chase Owens. Like he actually he actually delivered a little bit. Got a clean win over Tanahashi, which I think was absolute madness. Like was Gado Pish that night when he booked that one? Yeah, yeah, that came out of nowhere because like he hadn't got a win at all in the tournament by that point. I think he only finished on like four points, so he got that win in, and he beat Taichi, but only because Taichi was dealing with an injury for his last few matches. But, you know, again, it gives some for him to crow about. They beat Tanahashi cleanly and a bits over the package pile driver and that, you know, he keeps, he keeps losing matches. That's because he can't properly find the opening to hit the package pile driver. But it shows if he hits the package pile driver, then you're not going to kick out of it because no one really should be kicking out of a package pile driver, even if you're Tanahashi. Yeah, I mean, they've done a great job of selling that, like, sort of, um, and it kind of reminds me of, like, the gotch style pile driver that Suzuki uses. Both moves don't have the highest rate of actually being successfully pulled off but generally when they are pulled off game over, that's it, there's no kicking out of that But speaking of upsets, you know, we've we've mentioned Tama getting over Okada, we've mentioned Chase getting over Tanahashi let's talk about what I feel is possibly the biggest upset of the tournament of all big huge, big huge <laughs> Takahashi hitting Ibushi with the finisher which was called Big Juice for a clean win I, I never I never predicted that in my life, especially in the opening night. Yeah, the first match of the first night of A Block, you have the previous year's winner, the last two years winner, a uh, three-time finalist, get pinned by Yujiro after, yeah, like, a new finisher debut, which he couldn't hit again for the fucking rest of the tournament, which, again, goes back to the Powder thing, like, oh, he's good if he can hit this particular move. He can, he's shite. And, yeah, that came out of nowhere, and then when Nabushi lost a couple of matches later, like he lost two of his first three, he lost to uh, Zach Skibber Jr. a couple of nights later. And so I was, I was after those two losses, I thought, he's not coming back from this. And even if he wins, I don't want to see a title defence against him, him defending his opportunity against fucking neutral Takahashi, of all people. <laughs> but 
Also, again, Kevin Kelly pointed out that the fact that Yujiro got two points automatically for the Naito injury. So, he finished on four points. So, within two days of the tournament, he doubled his, previous, his total points total for the last year because he only got one win last year when he beat Cobb. I only thought in the last night, I've got this big stick. I could hit him with the stick. I know, it's like, it's like, it's one of the things, like, Takaha, like, Yujiro sometimes, like, despite being, like, a bad guy in Bullet Club, sometimes it's like he forgets, oh, yeah, I met a cheat, I've got a big stick, why don't I use this? You know, he's maybe part of the, the whole worst of the worst with Tahusa Torture, and yet he seems to forget he's in that group. It's like, there were shenanigans with him and, uh, him and, like, Kenta or Tangolo, really, when they had their matches, like, and, like, him and Tangolo, I thought, I don't see the, these guys getting many wins, so I can't really pick who's going to win here. Whereas Evil on the other side comes against Chase Owens and Tamatonga. He's like, I have no problems uh, screwing these guys over. I'll even get bloody Joe to turn the lights out for me. I know. We got e- e- Evil ending like ending that block, B block in 14 points and getting the win over Sonata. I was fucking bile. The bile was coming at me with pure rage. I thought yeah. they screwed over my boy. Because what, what did Sonata finish on? was like 8 points or something like that. Because he didn't finish as high as you may have what he might have, because I, I thought that maybe Sanada uh, would have would been like one of the contenders to maybe go to the final for B block and then go, then have Evil beat him on the last night, you kind of screw him over B spoiler, and then that wasn't the case, so I thought, oh, maybe it's the final night, maybe they will give Sanada uh, a win over Evil. Nope. They teased you, and they kept making you think he was going to win, and then, no, everything is evil, and we can't have what we want. And this is why we can't have nice things why we and, can't have nice things indeed and yes i mean we, we had quite a lot of like sort of upsets you know we could we could we could really go on for ages about all the different performances of a few people i'll give an honorable mention to like ishii again putting on fantastic matches you know regardless of who he was up against poor taichi got done dirty and i'm not gonna lie i think one of my biggest disappointments this tournament was actually yano oh yeah I just, I just felt I wasn't as enamoured with Yano this year, and I actually think the problem was that they made them work too much overtime. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was like doubling his average for most of the matches, and like the thing with Yano, and I know it feels weird to say this, but one of the things you can look forward to is a short match because uh, like if he's in like a middle of a a G1 card, you think, oh, it needs to be short match, kind of a bit of a palate cleanser from everything else that we're seeing here. But yeah, he kept working overtime, but. You know, at least to try and make it like entertaining. Some of the stuff they were doing, like uh, Kent, trying to get Kent back from what happened last year, or he was having the, having putting the the bags over people's heads and claiming that the bag was his, it's his second. Ah, it was just it was it was it was it was a weird one for Yano, and you know when when all was said and done, I'll go we'll go over sort of like the the A blocks last night, um, and in particular the fact that there was four potential winners coming out of A block. Um, the the math was ridiculous. I, I kind of had a little bit of Austin Powers where I tried doing it all and then I was like, oh, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we had a, we had a four-way dance. We had um, Kenta was in most control after getting the, the win over Zack Sabre Jr. earlier. Shingle was still potential in it. Ibushi was still in it. Sabre was in it. We had that, that four-way dance of absolute nightmare mathematics and, you know, it was, it, it it was a very it was a very it was a very weird weird one for me in, in the fact that who they eventually chose to go with was Ibushi. Mm. 
I think Shingo was, I think you could always guarantee he wasn't going to go through. I mean, as much as we said, like, you know, if anyone was going to be the champion and go through at the final, potentially win the whole thing, it would have been him. I still didn't think he was going to do it. And then the weird finish of his match with Yujo with the whole double count out, which means, oh, it's not that they get no points, it's they both lost, so they'll both get one point, something like that. So he ended on 13. Uh, but Kenny, like you said, was in most control because, like, whether or not Zach won or lost his match with Tangaloa, uh, he just had to beat Abushi because, yeah, they both beat Abushi, but he's beaten Zach. I think it's actually the second year in a row. Kent has beaten Zach in the G1. Uh, so Kent has been the most in, in control. I was kind of nervous about his chances when he didn't beat Shingo, even though it looked like he was set up to kind of get a screw win over over Shingo with the removed like, corner pad, but Shingo managed to pull out the win. And also Shingo was injured going into it because uh, his arm had been worked over by Zach Sabre Jr. a couple of matches earlier. So I thought, oh, like as the tournament went on, I remember kind of being a bit, oh, okay, when you said about kind of being a favourite going into this, and as the tournament came on, I kind of warmed to the idea of getting one and I could see it, and uh, especially if Okada was the most likely to go through from the able, it would be nice to see like a straight-up heel face kind of thing for the final. But yeah, I was kind of, I was rooting for Kenta, and it was weird because he was going up against a lot of my favourites, you know, they were like, oh, I like Ibushi, we both like Kenta, I really like Shingo, also really like Kenta. I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> I, I was I was very conflicted. I, for me, in my head, I was like, no, I don't want Ibushi again. Ibushi has done it, got to the finals three times back to back. He's won the last two. Give us something new. I was like, I was like, yeah, like you, I didn't think Shingo was going to win it. But at the same time, I was like, he's going to beat you, Jiro, surely. No, no, they went for the screwy finish. And all I thought was, right, Kenta, you can do this. I believe in you. And no, that absolute psychopath, Ibushi, mm-hmm. managed to pull it out his arse um, and, and win it. And I, I'm not going to lie, I was, I, like, I didn't get a chance to watch it live on the day. I had to watch it later on that same night. But from what I saw on Twitter, and I'm going to agree with the general consensus, to me, that series of matches on the A Block finals night was one of the the worst sets I've seen New Japan put out in a long time. It just, and nothing really seemed, but the Sabre the Saber match felt good, but everything else just felt a little bit deflating. Mm-hmm. I mean, Okan was never going to win it. He had a, like, he was fighting good game, I think it was, because obviously he would have fought Naito on the final night. He had an okay match between Ishii and, and Yano. I wanted to see Yujo get better, but I didn't get to see that. Yeah, I was shocked, I was shocked that uh, Tango actually beat is uh, like you know he, he uses his own roll up counter against them, they get the win and they did seem to say that oh no Yujiro kind of cost himself points but he screwed Shingo and also Tango was beating CHA so basically these other bullet club guys have cleared a path for Kenta. All he had to do was basically beat Abushi but you know it felt like felt like Kenta kind of they the creators ah oh, these guys have cleared him a path and Kenta still fucked it up even though <laughs> it seemed like he was destined to get a win at that stage like the final match between those two I think it's the best match easily of the night. But yeah, I think the rest of the card isn't up to maybe the standard that we were expecting from a, fin- a block final. Uh, but to go back to Abushi for a second, uh, I, I, went, I was I, I didn't think he was going to win the tournament, but uh, obviously he's always a favourite to go to the final, especially after the last couple of years. Uh, I, I, I don't know about you, I thought it was a weird choice to have him actually beat Shingo. I didn't actually think he was going to beat Shingo. You know, I was looking forward to a match because we didn't get to see it at Grand Slam when we were meant to. Uh, but you know, like it's weird how I feel because I don't think I didn't think I wanted to see him win the G1 because yeah, I mean a lot of people have gone back to back and everything. He's 
this would be in the fourth, his fourth final, which is in a row which wouldn't have been done before. But yeah, he said, wait, want to see something fresher at, at you know, Wrestle Kingdom? Because, you know, but at the same time, you're thinking, well, what else are you going to do with Ibushi? Because, you know, you talk about what the hell you do with Okada's book and what the hell is going on with Ibushi because it starts off the year as strong as you could possibly be, gets a new belt, loses it, uh, has a few recalls, goes to get his rematch, gets pneumonia, comes back, loses a US title match, and then just misses it in the G1. I, I know, it's just, it was, like, Ibushi's booking has been one of the most surreal, weird experiences of 2021 and 2020 it's 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 like i don't know if, if you feel the same but i feel it reminds me a lot of what happened with naito they heated up in them they cooled down they heated up in them they cooled down it was back and forth back and forth and it it just never made sense yeah they, they keep portraying him as if he was destined to eventually become like a new face of new japan one of the like top guys stand alongside likes of uh a tanahashi and okada or a naito and everything and then he gets the title and then says, oh, I want to unify both belts. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, a lot of people aren't happy about this thing. We think we boost you. So then they, are paint- they basically painted him as the bad guy, uh, but, didn't not- but not realising it because he wants to unify the belts, which a lot of people are against. Uh, and then, yeah, he loses to, loses to Osprey in his first defence of this new belt, which they didn't give him a chance to properly go with this new title, uh, him holding this new title. So, yeah, there would have been a story of him going after the belt again, but again, like, him winning the G1 again, him may have been again, like, I agree that would have been kind of a same old thing, but it's hard to say the word same old when you see who actually did win the G1. Uh, it, was, it was definitely um, it was definitely a bit, of a, a bit of a a bit of a weird one, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, Ibushi, Ibushi done it, Um even what I found interesting was hearing that even in Japan, apparently this was dividing the fans. And in Japan, Ibushi is looked up to very, very highly. But, you know, he made it to there. Um, over in B Block, it was a little bit more of a simple thing. We didn't have to do much in the way of mathematics. It was either going to be Cobb or Okada. Simple as that. Um, and, of course, as my notes put it, what did we get? Fucking Okada and Ibushi again, for all the gods. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, got, it would have been interesting to see Cobb be uh, versus Ibushi, but I think that would have made it a bit too predictable because I don't think a lot of people saw Cobb winning. If they put Kenta through against Okada, uh, I thought that would be interesting because, you know, we've not seen a lot of Kenta versus Jingo other than in a tournament, so I actually could have said that, that Kenta would have won. And I think you can hear us say that, that he feels that the Japan fan like sentiment is starting to warm on, on Kenta as opposed to how they hated him when he came in. Uh, but yeah, I think even when we looked at the preview and we saw the lineup of each night and saw the final night is Okada versus Cobb, we could kind of tell this is going to slide the block, isn't it? So it was a wise decision to have that main event, but like, I don't think either of us could have uh, expected the run that both men would have went on. And basically they said that it was a must-win situation for Okada after the loss to, uh, to Tamatonga because Cobb didn't even have to win. He could have let the 30 minutes expire and via draw, he still would have went through. So basically it's a case that Okada has to beat him. Aye, that's it, definitely. And it, and it, set, and it set things up for a, a finals, which, I mean, I've put my notes, there's one thing I didn't put in my notes, because let's face it, we know what we're going to talk about next. And it's not all those unexceptional tag matches on the finals night. Let's talk about the moment where grown men cried. <laughs> where I 
where I openly had a little tear in my eye in my desk at work because who came back to the ring for the first time since 2017? Katsuyori Shibata. Oh my god, I never would have predicted that. Ever. Ah. Uh, yeah, I mean, because like going into it, like there wasn't. Was it, I looked at the lineup uh, that was announced uh, going into the final other than the main event. I saw like a bunch of tag matches, like, okay, maybe you could set that up from that and that. Because uh, also, one single didn't go through. I thought, Zach's probably not. Like early in the tournament, I thought, Zach's not going to win the tournament. But, you know, if they give us single versus Zach for Power Struggle, that'll be exceptional. Especially given that, you know, compared to what they gave us last year at Power Struggle, which was Night O. Uh, Night O, Evil 3, God, not again. Uh, it would have been a hell of a lot better. So I expect to see Shingo and Zach going off to ends and Zach to make a challenge because that's what happens at the finals. You get a bunch of tie matches. Somebody pins somebody like, I beat you in the tournament. You've got a belt. I want that belt. And then that's how you set up Power Struggle. So, and then I thought, oh, I didn't see Zach on the card, which I thought was weird. And then he comes out in his gear. The commentators are surprised about it. And then uh, it takes a second for you to register it because, you know, Shibata's music is very soft to start with, so it takes you a second to realise what's actually happening. But once you realise, you're like, oh, and then he's in his gear, like, like Zach's kind of warming up in the corner, and then you hear Shibata, like, they both get, you look like they're ready for a match. Surely this isn't a match, is it? Uh, that, that, that's something, because I was like, wait, he's he's in his gear. What What's going like, even, like, and, and apparently the talk is that in the company, like, no one knew this was happening, apart from the ref ring announcer like commentary didn't know almost all the talent didn't know only ZSJ knew Shibata the chairman like this is this was like top level secret which you know very few companies really do these days like almost every big surprise return these days gets ruined by speculation and rumours but this was a complete resounding assessment how how they actually done it as well being under um, I had to I had to like Google it afterwards because I was like what's this UWF rules what's the whole point of that and it's it's grappling only there was no strikes in it it was it was beautiful to watch it was just a five minute exhibition of submissions mm-hmm. and uh, it was an interesting change from everything else we were seeing just right in the middle of like here's Shibaba here's him grappling with one of the best technical wrestlers going today Zack Saber Junior. And yeah, like Kevin Kelly, if you haven't checked out, people just go listen to watch it in the English version just to hear Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton's reaction. Chris Charlton just halfway through says, I've got to get a picture of this and after taking a photo of the ring because he just can't believe it. And I think they made the right choice not to on the commentator because obviously you want that genuine reaction because when, when, you, when you can tell it's genuine coming from the commentator, it makes it all that better. And you know, we've talked about it before, I think there's been speculation, you know, he got physical with Kenta when Kenta joined Bullet Club, and then he got physical with Kenta again uh, back at Summer Struggle, like when he helped the barricade stop him from cheating, but this is the most physical I've ever seen, and like, I, if, if I ever thought like Shibata's going to show up for anything wrestling related again, it would have been another thing with Kenta, because that's the story, there's still a story between those two. The fact that ZSG was in the ring, I did not think for the life of me, you could have given me a hundred guesses, I would not have said that Shibata was a bit to come out. Yeah, I mean that was it was just like that that was a that was like a, a Twitter break, internet breaking moment. And you know what Shibata said afterwards, you know, there was a sign of respect between both men there. This wasn't a cocky heelish ZSJ, this was a proper respectful and it was pretty much a case of next time I'm in the ring, I'll be in my gear and it'll be for a match. And I've 
read up some things in the back of it. The talk is that Shibata is still not officially cleared by New Japan doctors for actual normal matches, but it is known that he like he does bumps as part of like the training, the LA Dojo guys and stuff like that. He has done things, and it's very similar to the whole Daniel Bryan situation for years ago, where it's been several years. He's done a lot of recovery. Um, it's it's the plan is they want to do it when the time is right. So I don't know about you, but I I would love to, I would love to say that it's a guarantee for Wrestle Kingdom. It's not, but I could definitely see Shibata fitting himself in there somewhere. Yeah, because I think the the one drawback to this is that he said this. We've seen how physically he got here. We don't know the extent of his injuries at this point. Then people are going to expect to see it something very soon which I don't think they'll get to be able to deliver it as soon as everybody might hope that they can, uh, which may be the main drawback, which means you may have to wait a bit longer. But I think we've learned from the likes of your your Daniel Bryan, you know, Edge and Christian, who all had to retire from injuries. Uh, you can never say any of these type of things, but, you know, his is very, like, different in terms of you know, the nature of the injury that he got. And, like, yeah, he can go technically, and I think you can build a match around that which protects him, and you can take like, another flat back bunts. But, you know, you got to wonder how would he... Fit going back into the ring and trying to strike with some of the wrestlers in Japan, like likes of Yorobushi's and, and that, because obviously he was a bit of a, quite a solid striker. You know, he had the, the sleeper into the PK that he was known for. But you know, you gotta wonder, like, like people would be a bit worried seeing him take strikes, particularly to like the head area after what happened last time he was in a ring, like for an official match. Yeah, I think you know, it's going to be one of those things that's not going to be rushed. There's so many stories available. Um, to me, like the Kenta match is definitely to me the most appealing one of them all. Mm-hmm. But you know, we have we had that, like you know, in the midst of all this, because I, I I'll be honest, the, like the whole finals card didn't entirely make me go wow, but you know that five minutes alone pretty much made the whole thing worth it to me. And then we did get to our finals, and let, let, let's face it, it was it was a pretty solid match to start with, but the whole thing was marred by the the finish where. That Phoenix Splash, that landing was horrible looking. Yeah, because they went like 25 minutes before that move happened and everything had to you know, come to a very abrupt end. Uh, and like they, were t- they, they started a very slow for the rest of the match, you know, both trying to go to the mat and you know, basically trying to get the advantage over Okada. And I feel like they're going to you know, take their time, you know, go the distance, because also the finals of a G1 don't have any time limits, so they can go as, as long as they feel they, they need to. And just like you said, uh, the five ten minutes before that, it felt like it was probably kicking into gear, and then that happened. And uh, Kevin Kelly even mentioned the match that he was backstage for when he was in the WWF. Uh, when Eddie Guerrero won his first matches in the WWE, he goes for a frog splash and he lands wrong. He dislocates his elbow because of what you see early footage of the radicals in WWF. A lot of the, the footage is of Eddie with a sling, and that's why because he one of his first matches he hit, he injures himself, and that's felt you know, what it feels like because like. Like it comes like he popped his shoulder out of joint and everything. You know, it's clear at one point that he might have said, no, he can still go, but he clearly couldn't. And, you know, if you know Obushi, he if he was able to, if he thought he could go, he probably would try to. So it's just so well he got everybody in there say, no, like, stay down, like, it, it's done. And for a G1 final, it's a, it's a bad way to end it. And you can see, I think you can kind of tell the disappointment on Okada's face and not wanting to win that way, but... Now, when it comes to you know the health of the the wrestlers, what else can you do? Yeah, it was it, it was not the way. I mean, in in my mind, I 
I'm, I'm kind of thinking that Okada is probably going to be the win that we're going to go with because of story reasons, you know, like if you had Okada go over Shingo at the Dome and then the next night it would be Okada and Osprey, that story going full circle. In my mind, like, Okada was the most logical choice to win. It's just unfortunate it had to come about via injury. Um, and then Okada's done possibly the most weird demands I've ever seen on the back of a G1 as well, where he... I think he lost the plot a little bit. I don't I, I don't want a contract. I want my old belt back. It's like, I beg your fucking pardon? Yeah, because if I can't be the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, I'll at least be the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Uh, no, I don't have a... I'm not against you know, bringing back it. Like, I'm not against having a title to represent the title shot. And you can... Because you, know, you have to defend it like a title like against people on the lead, on the lead up to the Tokyo Dome. The fact that he wanted that specific belt, especially when everybody, especially when there's a lot of people out there who are against the new belt and want to see this one come back, then you're just going to kind of make those people grow even louder and the discontent towards the new belt. It's going to be harder for people to, people are never going to adjust to the new belt as long as the old belt is still around. Yeah, like it's made some really weird, like, um, it is like obviously the Power Struggle card we've mentioned that. Like Tamatonga was the only person to beat Okada during the G1, so he's automatically got the shot. Um, it has led to one of the funniest backstage promos I've seen from Okada yet, which literally lasts 10 seconds, and it's just him with the subtitles stating, Tama, there's no point in getting a contract made. You can't beat me, you bastard. <laughs> that was literally it. It was absolutely beautiful. I was like, wow, I did not expect that. It's just the way he ended it with, you bastard. He's like, he, before he made the announcement about the, the, the title belt, uh, he had, like, Tama Tonga basically interrupted him right before he could say anything in his backstage comments and says, don't even bother making a briefcase for him, make one for me, because I'm going to beat him at, beat him for that shot. And then, yeah, he's bringing the, the belt back. And, you know, I'm, I'm worried about Shingo going into Wrestle Kingdom, because you know, it feels like he should be, like, in the main event at least one night of Wrestle Kingdom, given the year and a bit he's had, and how much a strong a part of the company he's been. But, you know, with all... No, a lot of people are saying, like, the story for like, Kevin Kelly was portraying that, like, obviously, Okada, for at least one of the matches, he lost to Ibushi and he had a back injury. And basically, like, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's more about him losing than Ibushi, than single winning. And I feel like Okada's been set up to get the belt back and maybe try and bring back the old version. So I worry that Shingo is kind of been set up as a fall guy to Okada, you know, for the belt to go back to him. And, you know, I also the fact that he's carrying the less popular belt as well means that some fans maybe look to Okada to want to have him bring back the old belt. So I'm, I'm worried about Shingo because I think he deserves better than what I'm, I'm fearing is going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I'm, I'm very worried about it because it feels like Shingo's been overshadowed throughout the whole this kind of post-G1. It kind of feels like it's it's almost an afterthought for him. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just... it's. It's it's been a very odd finish to things, and then right in the back of the G1, at this time of recording, they've not wasted any bloody time. We've already had three Road to Power Circle shows. Yeah, I mean, I often like don't watch shows as they're happening. I watch I mean, sometimes watch them the same day, but I watch them when they're already up and full. I can watch them at my leisure on New Japan World. And I always like about after a tournament or after a big show that's got live English commentary, avoiding spoilers, going on going on and watching it. And then immediately, as I said before, going on to ngpw1972.com because by that point, 
the cards for the next few, whatever the next few shows are, are already up there and filled. They're like, and hey, what's happening? Oh, so and so challenges this person. We've got three title matches for the next show. That's smashing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, like, they've not wasted time. Like, we've, we've already, like, yesterday, as I pointed out, and you've managed to watch it, we had a, ju- a junior tag title match. Like, just, you know, because. We we always live a wee junior tag title match, which has been thrown in just for the sake of the fact that two of the people involved are your current junior heavyweight champion and his challenger. Um, and you know, you you said you've got some actual statistics about the juniors right now uh, on the back of all this. Yeah, let's talk about it. So, sorry if you've not seen it. Spoilers. No, I had to watch it uh, because, like, by the that time recording, it only happened yesterday. Uh, so I had to, I watched it with the Japanese country so I could talk about it here. Uh, because I'll say being a road to show, they, they aren't as quick about getting the English commentary up. So Robbie Eagles and Tiger Matthews, the Flying Tigers, beat Desperado and Camaro. So Robbie's got both belts now, which is starting to mean less and less in the junior division since you know it meant a lot when Desperado did it. It's meaning less and less now. But there have been, to my count, nine junior heavyweight tag team title matches. I looked this up. Nine times the junior tag titles have been defended in New Japan in a year. Of our Lord 2021. They've, out of those nine matches, they've changed hands, including this one, six times. Six title changes in the space of nine title defences this year. The titles changed hands. And of those nine matches, by the way, that we've had for the junior tag titles this year, seven of them have involved Kanemaru and Desperado. So they've been involved in some way in seven of these nine title defences of the junior tag titles this year. And so, yeah, six title changes. If they change hands one more time this year, that'll be seven, and that'll be as that means that'll mean in 2021 the belts will have changed hands a third of this, the third of amount, a third of the amount of times that they never open weight tie titles have changed hands because they've in the total history they never tie never six man titles they've changed hands 21 times, so we're getting close in just the year 2021 the junior titles have almost changed hands almost a third. As many times as the junior, as the never tails have changed hands in their whole existence, and fucking the, the never tails, the buddy, those guys have held them for over a year. So like I said before, but the six man tails have taken that place of this is a belt that constantly changed hands, and it was fun at first, and now I just don't care. I mean, there there is only one silver lining for me with this whole the junior tag belts changing hands again. Right now, the the like the flying tigers became. The 68th World Junior Tag Team Champions. So this means that number 69 is up next. You know where I'm going with this. The Ass Masters. Yes, it has to be the Ass Masters. I think this is going to give me. Um, I think you know, and this is also leading to Perestroika, where it's going to be Desperado versus Robbie Eagles too. Uh, I think this is giving me more credence to the fact that maybe Desperado is going to win because oh, we can't have another title match. Uh, for the junior, we have another title change this year because I think like we're not giving the same person being in the junior heavyweight and tag title matches come risk them, even though they're on multiple nights. But so I think Tiger Mask and No Reviews will carry those belts in a a Wrestle Kingdom, and Desperado will carry the uh, the junior heavyweight title into Wrestle Kingdom, which would be interesting because that means you'd have to carry it through the the best super juniors, which would be kind of fitting given that obviously. He came up short in the finals of Super Juniors last year and came and it's out of a hell of a year since that kickstarted his strong year in New Japan 2021. So 
for him to again go, come back a year later to walk in with a junior heavyweight title, I think would be quite fitting. Yeah, I mean, that's we are coming into the, the very busy bit of the year where we're going to have best of super juniors and World Tag League simultaneously happening on the lead up to Wrestle Kingdom. But before that, we do have Power Struggle and we'll, we're going to do a run through the card on that to kind of cap things off on this show, which is... Uh, after us having like the kind of the pleasure of things being nice and to the point over the last year, you know, five match cards, six match cards top. Some some madman has decided, like, no, fuck it, let's go for nine matches for power struggle. <laughs> Who thought yeah, this was a wise idea? Yeah, this is going to be the downside to uh, things maybe improving a bit uh, in terms of you know COVID and everything that they're going to start extending the bloody match length, like the the length of cards. And the uh, matches they put on, which uh, I am not for, because uh, I liked the fact that, like, I mean, we look at it, you got nine matches, we had six matches last year, they all meant something. I mean, you look at it, six out of the nine matches we've got all mean something. So, what difference would it mean, would it make if you remove those nine, those first three matches? Like, come on, if somebody has to be thinking logically here in the Japan booking room, and I know it's easy for us to say that, but come on, we're the ones that have to watch this. Uh, so, I mean, so, you know, to make sure that we're not insulting everyone, we're just going to skip those first three matches because we're not going to talk about them. There's just no relevance. And we're, they're, they're, when we get when you get to the fourth match on the card at Power Struggle, we have a match which, I'm not going to lie, I'm not exactly particularly excited for, but something tells me it could still end up being an absolute banger. And that is we have the never-open-weight six-man tags, tag belts get, getting defended by the reigning champions Yoshihashi, Ishii and Goto in their 10th defence because that those belts are actually prestigious now, against the House of Torture. <laughs> it's happening, Grant. I, I I can feel in my bones the good times for Yoshihashi and his pals are coming to an end. The House of Torture are gonna just a dark cloud over those belts. I can I can just see it happening. Also, given that you know Show joined right before the G1, he's not had to wrestle a lot other than fighting beating up the Young Lions because he also he doesn't qualify for the G1. Their six-man match at the finals where they kind of earned this shot. It was weird to figure it, figure that it feels like they've been around forever. The House of Torture. That was actually their first actual six-man match together. Yeah, and I mean, looking at like the House of Torture, and I I think like the way like Ishii and Goto and Yoshihashi probably look at this like House of Torture is they look at the one common thread that has been a pain in their ass the whole time, and it's evil. And I saw a meme which summed it up perfectly, and it was Mo throwing Barney out, out, out of out of Moe's <laughs> but instead of Barney they just put evil it's like he's out and then who appears behind him oh it's evil again <laughs> yeah because this is actually cause they, they joked about it on uh, uh, the Crystal and then Hill, which is one of the fun things especially during the G1 is just how the longer evil is around doing what he does the less uh, the more annoyed Kevin Kelly particularly gets with him and how much he just shits on him every night and they just like, oh, maybe third time's a charm because, yeah, he's teamed with uh, Togo and Yuju, and then he teamed with uh, Ishimori and Kenta, I think. This is the third time that, e- that Evil's got a group of guys together to try and take these six man belts. Uh, like I said, so he just basically won't go away. Uh, but I think, given that like, they are kind of running out of trios in, uh, in New Japan, like, they're one of the few remaining, as much as we may not like them, I have a feeling they're going to take it this time. Aye, it's it's definitely uh he's he's he's, he's more persistent than COVID. He really <laughs> is. And then the the next match on the card, 
our our great lord, the the king of amateur wrestling, the king of pro wrestling, Toriyano, is going to defend the king of pro wrestling title against the great Okan. And the stipulations that have been proposed, um, a little bit different from what I expected. Um, Yano has proposed an amateur wrestling match when, because both of them were accomplished amateur greats before turning pros. Um, the amateur rules, Yano would seek to show that he's still going to be dangerous. So it's going to be like, like a very traditional match. Um, and Okan's one is a, 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 a kiss my feet match. So, you know, those with the foot fetishes out there are probably just uh, jizzing their fillies right now. But to me, I'm pretty horrified at the thought of this. It just gives me flashbacks to Michael Cole and his athlete's foot. Uh, thank you for that. I'm not had dinner yet, so I'll never eat again. <laughs> I, I definitely see the... Uh, I think we, we will be fine. I think the arbitrary wrestling thing is going to win the vote. Because, like I said before, why does the Yana's opponents even bother thinking of a stipulation for the vote? Because... Everybody loves Yano. They're always gonna. They're often gonna vote for for Yano's stipulation, and I think the amateur wrestling is actually the better of the two options because, you know, you actually got to see about the um, Yano's amateur wrestling during his match for ECE in the G1. So you see what I know they'll find some shenanigans in there, but you see a dip, it'll be something very different on the card compared to everything else. You know, just the uh, the mat based stuff. So I actually look forward to uh, to seeing it if it does end up being the uh, the amateur wrestling match. I think I think the amateur one will actually be quite fun because I I will be honest like Okan by the end of the G one didn't it didn't look too bad some of his matches were were actually quite decent I I'm still not sold on the the way that his gimmick comes across he just needs to stop doing the Ministry of Funny Walks and just you know look serious all the time like the way Cobb does and it would be a bang I think he would be on to a winner but you know KOPW match I I reckon it could actually be a fun one. That's and you know it's sitting right smack bang in the middle of the card. It, with its positioning, it could be fantastically placed, or it could go down awful. Um, but what it, comes it, after it is a. <laughs> I mean, sorry, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like I think, given that also the House of Torture might look to ruin our evening the, the match before, I think they're going to put you out to you know Perkins back again. This starts spirits once again, which I think is why it's been placed the way it has. Uh, I agree with you, but he's weird walk. I started skipping his entrances because he just takes too long. To get to the bloody ring, he's like a, he's like a puppet. Somebody CGI'd out the string, so it's just a guy doing weird hand movements. I, it's it's just such a bloody weird thing, but you know, I I can I can rant about Okan's weird daft movements the whole way, but let's go into something much better. Let's talk about match number six of the night, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match between Robbie Eagles and El Desperado. Again, highlighting the kind of issue that we've had, we've mentioned countless times about the junior division where it just feels like it's constant rematches when the belt get a rematch. Maybe it changes hands, maybe it doesn't. Um, but this match, I, I'm actually looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a banger. Yeah, I mean, I think I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the uh, the match between Robbie and, and Desperado when they had a, the uh, the Tokyo Dome because obviously Robbie had been off to off New Japan TV for a while, so I forgot how good he was. Uh, as, as happy as I was for him uh, to win the title, and I thought, oh, it could be a shame if he lost in his first defence to Hiromu. I actually think it would have been better off if Hiromu did beat him for the belt, because you know, I think we talked about like how much a, a, a kick up the arse the junior division needs, especially with the best of juniors around the corner, and I think you can start to see why Hiromu is always called upon and seen as the face of the division, even when he's not champion. They do struggle at times when he's not in the mix. 
Uh, and like I think I feel like Desperado didn't get a long enough a run with the belt that he deserved with with it because you know he beat you know Show he beat yeah he beat Yo uh, he had the match with uh, Ishimori and then I felt like the natural conclusion was building him out and Hiromu in a rematch but then they just randomly thought ah oh, no swerve uh, Robbie Eagles is going to win the belt oh so he'll go be a go between no he's going to beat Hiromu as well uh, okay. As much as I enjoy Robbie, I don't, as I before, I think Desperado needs to carry the junior singles belt into the, the Super Juniors. Otherwise, I feel like Robbie as champion in the tournament will be more of an afterthought than poor Ishimori was last year. Aye, it's, it's definitely a weird one. I mean, Robbie is an, in, an interesting choice because he, he has put on some great stuff. It was very left field, like you say. Like, I didn't expect him to come in, swoop in and get the belt. I didn't expect him to beat Hiromu. Um, so this match to me is totally, totally up in the air. I would, I love the idea of Desperado getting the belt back and going in as a, as champion, but something tells me he's not going to win it. Something tells me it's going to be, it's going to be about the thrill of the chase and Desperado perhaps finally winning the BO, the, the best of Super Juniors this year. Maybe, maybe, but then also you think where is Roma going to be? Because obviously, like. Again, he's been put in such a high position in the junior division that anything less than one of the t- being one of the title scenes uh, seems kind of less for him. So, like another Desperado Robbie Eagles match at bloody the Tokyo Dome, I don't doesn't really appeal to me like being this bloody trilogy because that would mean maybe you'd want Hiromi to go after the tag belts, but then if he wins the tag belts with Bushi, that means they'd be the 69 champions and they take that order away from poor Taguchi. So. I'm left very conflicted about the bloody direction of the junior division, but you know, you noticed earlier on when I said about Hiromu should be in the G1, but as still as a junior, uh, I, I said that because I don't think he's ready to go. Up to, I don't think he wants to go up to heavyweight yet, and if he does go up to heavyweight at this stage, the junior division is even more fucked than it already is. I know it's like they they can't really afford to lose Hiromu in the in the junior division. It's like thinking it through. There there are so many sort of like. They've they've really got a, they've got a very tight time scale to get the junior division looking solid for that kingdom card, um, and the thing is I, I I can't see them having a double champion going into Wrestle Kingdom either. They're like yeah. the belts need to get separated. Uh huh, a hundred percent. I agree with that. You know, I've been saying it for a wee while, and uh, you know, if you should have listened to me, he's already in the US. Maybe he can make it back in time for uh, Super Juniors. Maybe I'm wishful thinking. And I've been saying it for ages. Just. Just put the belt on El Fantasmo and you'll be fine. Immediately, the whole division's elevated. You know, he was screwed out of the X Division title, in my opinion, but, you know, you can carry the junior heavyweight. You know, Ishimori got to go. It's his turn now. I, El Fantasmo has been, like, has been underutilised the entire time. He has been, don't get me wrong, he's had great runs with the junior tag belts. He, uh, he needs the singles title. He needs the run with it because... ELP is just wonderful to watch. He's got charisma oozing out of him. His character work is entertaining. His in-ring work is crisp and precise. And yeah, he did get robbed of that X Division belt. That, that, I, I was raging at that. Fucking tree. Uh, especially <laughs> given that we were so close earlier in the year for, a, for an ELP Hiromu match for the title, and then Hiromu got injured, and we were robbed of that. Speaking of ELP, I know he's won the last two years of the Super Jacob. Do you think we'll have a Super Jacob this year, like particularly in America? Because uh, you know, with crowds coming back, I could see them doing that. But 
you know, it's, it's questions where you fit in because I know on the 13th, the same day as the WWE, they had that battle in the valley, and then on the 15th, they've got another set of uh, strong tapings. So, just not sure where they're on their schedule they fit that in. I, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, there's still room for them to definitely bring the Super J Cup back in and the American side of things. They've got more than enough talent to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they've still got like they've still got the the, the link with them. Um, with impact, um, so you know there is there is the way there is a way for them to bring it in. I'm, 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 I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure how they'll do it, but I, 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 there's room. There's definitely room. Um, I wonder if part of what they'll look at for that is if they were to do it, could they have the person that wins it over to Japan? You know, like is there still like what are the like the specifics of the travel rules and that? So, you know watch this space because I, I say that they might have it, they might not and no doubt whatever, if I was to come out and bet on something they'll probably do the exact bloody opposite just to make a fool of me <laughs> Yeah, they love, they love doing that to us on this show uh, no, no doubt by the time we've recorded this and like you know, probably like, like in the next 12 hours when we go to sleep and then wake up next day they'll have surprised us by going, oh yeah by the way this is happening, like no don't do this <laughs> So, I mean, that's that's kind of like where the juniors are sitting. Uh, next up is the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship match. Um, Tanahashi is going to defend with his second defence against Kenta. Now, I don't know about you, but for the love of all this, holy, give Kenta a belt. <laughs> yeah, because I remember he was never a champion, but that feels like a hundred years ago. Uh, that really does, because, like, he even said when he was uh, he had the right to challenge uh, the John Moxley, he's defended he that briefcase so much he's the most successful IWGP US champion, but he's never held the belt. So and it's interesting how that came about because also Chase Owens beat Tanashi during the G1, and so it felt like he was going to challenge him. Uh, I mean, there were people in Bullet Club to challenge him, and I think he also lost to Evil, so thank God Evil didn't bloody challenge him. Uh, but then kind of just shoved to say, like, no, fuck it, I want the belt. Uh, so, so it's a weird thing to choose to sort of tension between buddy these particular Bullet Club members and Chase Owens and Kenta. But at the same time, yeah, I want to see Kenta with a belt. Don't know if I want to see a Chase Owens Kenta match in the Tokyo Dome, but you know, stranger things have happened. I know that that's that's the big the other big obstacle we've got as well is that unless Kenta was, for example, to be in the. Uh, the World Tag League and someone got a pin over him during it, if Kenta wins the US Championship the, the only way I can see them setting up a, a dome match is they're either going to have to figure a way to squeeze it in somewhere very close to the dome or he's going to have to go back over to America with it and the US t- title belt ironically feels like it's a little bit allergic of being in America a lot of the time I know, I think it does kind of live in the US so you can you can take that belt back over and Maybe we can bring Jay White back over to Japan because I've missed him being on main uh, main shows because I've not been able to check out a lot of Strong in the last month because it's been hard enough watching uh, it's hard enough watching the G1 itself without having to add more wrestling on top of it. Aye, so I mean, there's definitely 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 options available there. The second last match on the Power Circle card. Um, I like how they've put it. They've put in the IWGP World Heavyweight Right to Challenge in Tokyo Dome contract. Even though it's actually not a contract right now, it's that bloody old IWGP heavyweight belt, which Okada is cradling like a, like a baby. 
it's it's Okada against Tamatonga. Um, I don't know about you, but I just feel this match is like a foregone conclusion. I feel it's there for the sake of, well, he's the only person to beat Okada during that tournament. There's no one else that they can put in that match. Yeah, like I said, it was an interesting choice to have be the only one to beat Okada. But yeah, I think we can see where this is. Uh, this is good. It'll be a, it'll be an interesting match. You know, they said oh, Okada only let his guard down. You know, for a second, and he, he lost so close to the final, and now he has to face Tamatonga. So now obviously he's going to be a bit more focused going into this. And uh, I think they they were drawn parallels in this to like when Carl Anderson faced Okada you know, in the G1, and like, Tamatonga was able to beat him. So maybe they're using this as something that he can kind of can leap to over Carl Anderson when they eventually get back to that G.O.D. Good Brothers feud. Yeah, that, that feud that kind of picked up, disappeared, picked up, disappeared. Where's it going to go? Where'd it go? No idea. But, you know, it's it's there. It's floating in the ether. But that, that is actually a thing that I do miss New Japan doing, that sometimes they like to build up a bit of a feud and then keep it on the back burner for a while rather than just trying to get it out of the way as quick as possible. Uh, I mean, ideally for me, uh, the dream scenario is that the Good Brothers get announced for World Tag League. Praying for that. Yeah, because I think you'd like to think they'd bring in one or two outside people, like maybe not for the juniors, but even for World Tag League. There's obviously the guy like Cobb, and that can go back over to the US, and sure they can bring some people over for for World Tag League. Aye, so I mean, you know, there's not really much else that we can we can really say on. On Okada and Tama, it's it's going to happen. Is there? And the final match of the night, uh, it's a rematch from the G1 because Shingo got beat by the man. It's Shingo v Zack Saber Jr. And I'm I'm looking forward to this. These two have just got insane chemistry. Because mm-hmm. I remember, I think am I right in saying that the only people that obviously not including the whole double counter thing was the only people that beat uh, Shingo were Zack and Ibushi. Yeah, that is that is the only two that beat him. So essentially, also they they were careful in choosing who, you know, and who beat the champion. And also, it, it meant something because Obisha went to the final and Zach gets his title shot. Uh, I think also because Zach's got more tightly to think about. We know where this is going to go, but they're one and one. So, obviously, it's going to be interesting to see them, you know, single try and get some revenge here, and also try not get submitted as he was last time. And uh, I'm going to see where how they go because they went about twenty odd minutes first. The last time, and they also they said that Zach got kind of squashed the first time he went. So we'll just see how long we actually go in this match. Aye, there's definitely this is this is a this is one that you know again. It's sometimes the issue with with them having like people that are in like for example tag champs and that going into these things. You kind of feel that it's whereas the juniors have quite fond in their double title holders. It's not really something that's done in the heavyweight division and. Shingo's story just makes sense that Shingo should carry it all the way to Wrestle Kingdom. If he gets dethroned there, that's where it'll be. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, speaking of that Ibushi was the only other person to beat him, I, I did forget to mention earlier that with Ibushi, there is scope. It's it's not out of the impossible that he could be back in time for the Dome because it was it was revealed that it was a right anterior dislocation of the shoulder and joint lip damage and recovery is expected to take two months. Now that update, that update itself was put out just yesterday. Two months would put him. I, I say I wouldn't. I wouldn't guarantee that he's going to be there, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ibushi like they've got three nights of Wrestle Kingdom. If Ibushi is definitely cleared and definitely fit to return for the Dome, 
I'm willing to put my money on that Okada and Ibushi is going to be on night one. And it'll be Ibushi saying, no, no, you never beat me. I got injured. We're finishing this. I mean, so they kind of be like, uh, you know what, Hiromu having that match with ELP on like the night one of last year while the two junior tournament winners facing each other. But I think, yeah, it would be on face face because like, if he can't make the tournament, because I think if he can't make the dome, then I would be interested to have him come out at the end or come out on New Year's Dash. Uh, if Okada does win the title and says, well, I think I've got the a more right than anybody be your first challenger because, you know, you wouldn't have won that belt had we could tell you the match and I didn't get hurt because I would have beat you. Uh, we thought about like Osprey potentially being involved in Wrestle Kingdom because Ozzy claims to be the real world like champ. Do you see them using Perishogo to fit him in there? Because, uh, you know, he's been building the empire over in the US and the UK and everything. But do you think they'll... I think Perestruggle is your main opportunity to add him and do you think they will go with that or do you think they'll they'll like stretch this out because you know like I said before we've got to have we've got three nights to, to give a good like a strong headline for yeah I mean that's the, the third night is just completely because the two nights they managed to fit perfectly you were able to do two nights without any filler keep it straightforward cards five five or six matches maximum get all the belts this third night, and the fact that the third night isn't consecutive, it's a different venue and several days later, the, thir- the third night is going to feel very alien because it's it's a different venue. I, I, I'll be honest, I don't like them calling it Wrestle Kingdom Night 3 because I'm like, it's not in the dome mm. and it's not a third consecutive night. You know, to me, I mean, that, that should be your New Year Dash. Yeah. I mean, it'd be weird if they do a New Year Dash at all because it would be later in the, in the month. You know, it'd be, it had to be on the 9th of January if they're going to do it. Uh, but they haven't meant anything regarding New Year's Dash. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Earl Three does get included because he's, you know, it feels like the most logical thing to do with uh, the storyline of two world champs and having three nights to fill. It'll, I think I'd be interested if they did like, another version of Double Gold Dash. It's like on the second night, okay, uh, Bushi versus Osprey, like that, and uh, Okada versus Shingo winners face each other the third night and have something else main event the first night or. Have Osprey and Ibushi in the mix. So just, I don't know who you'd pair up with who. Basically, have those four two singles matches in one night. Winners of which go to the final night, and the winner there is the undisputed IWGP World Champion. I mean that that does make sense, and it's something that I definitely wouldn't complain about. Because <laughs> they've all they've all been all mixed up in the title scene this last year. Because Ibushi uh, was the world introduced the world title, lost it to. Uh, Osprey, who wanted to face Okada, but Shingo said, I'm first, struck the title defence. Osprey got injured before he could face Okada, who Shingo beat for the belt, but now Okada came back and won the he won, but basically going to say, hey, I, I got injured, you wouldn't have won if I had not got injured. They so got four guys with all the reasons to want to be the world champion. So just, you know, it made sense when you did the double gold dash before with those four before, and you did even, you made it about three people last year with Jay White, Dealing uh, Bushy's contract, so that's what you, I think that's what you need to do. You need you can't just have the two guys, the world champion, the contract where you got to add another person at least in there to you know create like a narrative to follow across each night. Nah, you definitely you've you've got good points there, and you know yeah. at this point, like the, the whole Wrestle Kingdom situation, I all we can do is speculate because this is the first time like the. When they first brought in the two nights, we're like, "How are? The, what's the plan for the two nights?" Was it? And now they're going to three. I'm like, 
what are you planning? What's going on? And what you've put there, actually, there's so many... It's it's almost like a way to make sure that everyone has a main event or gets some kind of shot in the main event. It's... I know. It's like when you, if you've ever been to a birthday party and a bunch of kids all want to have their turn blowing the candles even though it's not their birthday. That's basically what it says. Everybody wants a turn. It's my turn. You'll get your turn in a second. We'll, get, we'll add a third night for you. Uh because I'm I'm fine with them continuing to be a two-year thing, like so I do the thir- try out the third night for this time around. But I think going forward, make it one or two nights because it's easier to manage. Even WrestleMania with like bigger crowds expected for next year, it's still going to stick with two nights. I think companies are realizing for your biggest show of the year, it's easier to have like two nights. Uh, you know, we could they could give us something completely different from what we're talking about. I could just be spewing these fancy booking ideas out into the ether, and you know, we get something completely you know different. But I think that's the fun of like, especially so close to the biggest show of the year. Uh, you want to like speculate, and we're so close to Perisher, which is usually the night where you know, other than the junior heavyweight and the the tag titles, which will get in the tournaments. This is where you can start the building blocks for you know matching people challenging each other. This is your last full stop to say. Here's what some of the feature patches are going to be. Get excited now. Yeah, that's it. We're in the position that this is going to be like, we're, we're literally just over a week away from the kind of the last main single stop before Wrestle Kingdom. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll realise that we've not really mentioned a lot about Strong. Strong could probably play a part in Wrestle Kingdom, but the reason we've not talked about Strong is, well, we've been going on for almost an hour and a half just on, on G1 and Power Struggle alone. And Strong itself is... It's really sort of now that they've got fans back, it's becoming a totally different beast on its own. So, yeah, we are. We will probably have, we'll have to cover strong next time when we're talking about power struggle. And you know, we're going to have Christ before we know, like a week after power struggle, we've got the bloody world tag league and best of super juniors beginning. So, we we have got like we're, we're at the end of October right now. We're going to be hitting November, December, and honestly, Scott, where do we where do we find the time to fit it all? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a week, maybe a week and a half to hear us again. Uh, where, like you said, we'll talk about the big developments with New Japan Strong with like fans coming back and uh, they've been putting up some solid matchups and uh, some names for like the most recent tapings and everything else. So they've started announcing stuff for that Battle in the Valley, which happens the same day as the start of Super Juniors and also the same day as Bloody Field Gear. So, basically, break down the main stuff from Power Struggle, talk about the main points from Strong, and then I think by that point, given there's only a week between Persia going the tournaments, they'll probably have announced obviously the uh, the lineups for both tournaments. So you can basically pick out who you think is their favorite, who's your favorite going into it, who's gonna, which match will be you most excited about. So it's still gonna be a packed one next time, and then yeah, having to break the tournaments down yet again. Uh, and so yeah, I think November, you know, another one in uh, November. I think you're gonna maybe have two or three episodes in bloody December to break down the tournament, and. Uh, we always we often like to have our, our Wrestle Kingdom, you know, preview, and uh, I think at that preview we're also going to try and sneak in some of our favourite stuff from New Japan in the year 2021, and we've got a lot of it to choose from. So, uh, you know, it may feel like ages since you last heard from us, but God, by the end of the year, we're thinking, God, can these lads just go away? By the time we get to cover and Wrestle Kingdom, like I've heard too much of these picks talking about fucking New Japan. That's it. That's it. We're we're now going to be going to the point where we've had our kind of like we've had our lulls between big tournaments and that, but now we're going to be jam packed. We are going to be jammed right into your ear holes for the next two months. There is no there is no stopping us. We are invincible. We are pretty much the the dangerous duo. But you know, 
I'd say like we've we've covered everything that we need to at the moment. We've covered the G1. We have covered Power Struggle. We've thrown in a little bit of Wrestle Kingdom fantasy booking as well. If you have got any ideas to that yourselves, people, please drop us a line on Twitter. Leave something on the community page on Facebook. Chat to us because you know we love discussing this. We love people throwing out ideas. Um, the the more wild, the more fun, the better because we can just have fun with it. But thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you, Scott, for joining me again for another wonderful show. Yeah, problem, you know, I just recovered from the last month of wrestling, so you know, I'm, I'm trying to you know, psych myself and do my stretches before you know, the long two months ahead. And thank you everyone for listening. Please catch us again soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our fantasy draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. Sports Social Podcast Network.